Welcome to the Visma Ski Classics podcast, Usha Tulevi. Visma Ski Classics is the long-distance ski championships with 35 pro teams. In season 12, there are 14 races in 12 event locations, bringing pro team athletes and recreational skiers together. On this podcast series, we'll analyze the events on the Pro Tour and the Challenger Series, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Usha Tulevi, our great podcast series once again. I am your host, Teemu Virtanen, and right now we are going to Italy. Uh, to be more precise, to Livigno, that great place that used to be the Visma Ski Classics season opener. Of course, this year we will be in Sweden, in Usha. And my guest is training over there. He's not an Italian skier. He's a Swedish skier uh, skiing in a Norwegian team called Team Rakde Charge. And of course, we are talking about Oscar Cardin. How are you doing? How's the weather in Livigno as we speak? Hello, uh, I'm doing good. It's uh, nice weather here and uh, yeah, zero degrees right now, but it's sunny and uh, perfect condition for skiing. How many kilometers of tracks do you have there? It's uh, just a little bit uh, more than 20 kilometers of ski tracks here right now. So it's both uh, artificial snow and uh, they got half a meter of natural snow also. So it's really good conditions. So as I said in my intro, that used to be the... Uh kind of the season opener. That was the place where we started the season. Do you guys miss it? Do you feel that it still should be the case? <laughs> yeah, I really like Livigno. And uh, uh, I also like yeah the Alps this this time of the year in uh, Östersund, where I live. Other, uh, It's yeah, rainy and uh, not, not the best conditions right now. So I like uh, the Alps and uh, be down here in Livigno in Italy. But uh, I guess uh, Usha will also be nice. It's your home country. It's in <laughs> yeah. Sweden. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So it's uh, really good. And also with uh, with SVT, who are making the Swedish television, uh, the broadcast. So I think it's good to have the, the start of the season there. So have you eaten a lot of Italian pasta and pizza while you're there? <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot. I, I eat a lot of pasta pesto. That's the best. Yeah, I know you love pasta. <laughs> yes indeed but uh next we'll talk about your know, last season bisma ski classic skiing and then as always in in our uh, podcast series we talk about the um, the training and then about you a little bit as well so that people get to know you a little bit better but first let's talk about skiing bisma ski classics and the last season that'll be next Last season, definitely, season 11 was your best. You won La Diagonela and you were among the nine best skiers in every race. Uh, so it was a really good, of course, a little bit of a bad luck here and there, uh, but overall an, an amazing season. And you finished third in the champion competition and you are currently number five in Visma Ski Classics rankings. So, uh, but if you go to uh, last season first overall, then I'd like to go race by race a little bit because so many things happened. And since it was your best season, it will be kind of interesting to get your comments on, on each, each event. Uh, but overall, when you now look back, 
think about the you know the season 11 which of course was a bit different and difficult due to the pandemic but we were able to have a season though uh, yeah, overall it was my best season in Vismaski Classic and I think it was my fourth full season uh, or maybe five, fifth. Yeah, but it was uh, a good season for me and I I was able to stay healthy and uh, without injuries the whole season and be consistent up there with the, the, with the best and uh, yeah, fight for the win and the podiums in every race. So it was really good for me. So before the season started, uh, did you think or imagine that you could be the one uh, that your team is putting, you know, the, the pressure on? Uh, because, of course, we know what happened to uh, your friend and, and teammate who's there uh, next to you, uh, lying on a bed, I guess. Uh, uh, Nigor, Andres Nigor, uh, got injured, you know, the first bites. And then you became pretty much, you know, the one. The yeah. One <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, it was uh, maybe a little bit surprise because yeah, we had a really strong team and also with uh, Petter who was really strong last year. So it was yeah, I don't know. Uh, suddenly it was me up there, so I took the opportunity and uh, yeah, did the best I could. So let's go through the last season's events. And uh, La Diagonela, that was the first one. In Switzerland, the cold weather, as we all remember. But you had that amazing breakaway. And you were able to, you know, maintain that and win the race. But if you go back to that one and, and kind of walk us through the uh, the race, when did you decide on, uh, to do the breakaway? Or was it just by happened by accident and you didn't really plan it or... Uh, yeah, uh, it was as yeah, man, I know it uh, was a really co- cold race with uh, yeah, 20, 25 degrees. So I think that suits me, and we had really good skis. So after uh, we was in Saint Moritz, after maybe twenty kilometers, uh, I got a small gap. Uh, it wasn't a plan to get a gap, but it was a small gap and. Then I took the opportunity and skied on for a while, and yeah, after five kilometers more, I had like one minute maybe. So then it was just to go all out, and yeah, no one was well, uh, wanted to chase from behind because I had uh, all my team there also. So it was really good for me and uh, for the team tactics. And that was your first victory. It must have felt good, you know, when you've crossed the finish line. Yeah, for sure. It was uh, really nice and uh, it's good for the confidence and everything to have the first first victory. And also uh, La, Diag- La Diagonela takes place uh, in the Engadin Valley, which is on the other side of the mountain where you guys are uh, right now. So, But as a location, what would you like to say about the race and the, the valley? Uh, yeah, I think the race is really nice. Uh, it's uh, flat in the beginning and then uh, you have some small hills and then you have a, a flat section back to the to the finish line and a small small section of uh, hills in the end also with a pretty tough finish so i think it's a, a really nice race and a good place to be on with oh it's almost every time i've been there it has been sunny and uh, cold so i like like that place 
Indeed, it's it's pretty cold there, particularly in, in January. But it is a great place to ski. I think they have like over two hundred kilometers of Kroom trails and lots of nice places to go to. It's definitely uh, my and lots of people's favorite place to ski. Uh, then from La Diagonella, the tour uh, moved to um, Italy, Topla Cortina. Very different race, much shorter race uh, uh, there, and high pace race and. Um, you were second there. Uh, yes. Yeah, the race was postponed one day because of heavy snowfall. Uh, and uh, it was a really hard race with uh, tough climbs. And uh, Ermel Vukov was really strong and put a hard tempo in every climb. So it was a small group to the finish. And then, yeah, it was... Yeah, it was a okay finish, but uh, I was in a bad position before the the last sprint. So, yeah, but it was good to finish in second place. So I'm satisfied with that. So uh, after that, because you won the the previous race, La Diagonela, second there and the second uh, race, I think you must have felt you like, hey, right now I really have a chance to fight for the, you know. For the champion, not just for the podium places, but for the champion title, the yellow bib. Yeah, for sure. It was uh, uh, when I was wearing the yellow bib. It's always you always have a chance to win it if you succeed over the the season. So is that really like a confidence booster when you have that yellow vest or bib? Uh, yes, it is for sure. And uh, I'll. Also in the peloton, everyone sees that you have it, and yeah, it's you have like more respect in the peloton if you wear the yellow bib, I think. And then uh, you guys stayed in Italy after Topla Cortina Machalonga was next, you know, the legendary race. And again, you were pretty close, not on the podium anymore, but pretty close. You were fourth there. Yeah, it was uh, oh, heavy snowfall also during Machalonga. Uh, and uh, it was a really big group until the, the end from the Valle Stadio and it was a hard pace up the last hill uh, with Petter going hard and uh, yeah, I thought I would have more more power left the last two minutes but I was empty and tired so yeah I was just outside the podium and uh, but uh, Emil was really strong and that was his first victory last year so it was strong uh, strong for him to be up there and win Marcelonga that showed that he was one of the big favorites for for the yellow bib even with uh, that hard uh, finish and how would you describe this particular race so much has been said about the Machalonga and the atmosphere and all that, but also the course is quite interesting. I mean, it's it's mainly downhill, you know, from Kanaze all the way to the turning point, and then the, the final climb. It's a fast pace, a fast track, except that you know the final climb. Yes, yes, it is. And um, for us, the the pro athletes is mostly about the final climb and just to get there as. Uh, yeah, without spending too much, too much strength, strength in other places. So it's the you... final climb where it's the important to have uh, power left. Do you like that climb? Do you think that races like that with uh, uh, something special at the end? Yes, I, for your... 
Yeah, I like it, and I like that it's 70 kilometers, so it's also a pretty long race. So I like when the race is over two hours, uh, and then I think it suits me pretty good to have a climb in the end. So yeah, yeah, your time was three hours and eleven minutes uh, and thirteen seconds to be precise. You know, uh, last year, way over three hours, but then. That was then shorter race, an hour shorter than a much longer 50k race. But it has a tough, tough course, of course. Uh, you were sixth there, and you had a bit of a bad luck. You fell down just <laughs> yeah. before the finish. Yeah, that was really shit for me. And I lost a lot of points also in the champion competition because of the Grand Classics. So it was extra points in Gisarska, and when I finished sixth, place i lost a lot of points to the other guys uh, so yeah not a good race for me but i was feeling strong and uh, i was in a good position before the last hundred meters but then it was my own mistake and i fell down so that was shit in race what really happened there with this uh, just ski, ski got stuck or is it your own fault but yeah uh it's uh like a new track uh after yeah you need to change track ski track so my ski got stuck outside of it that and i fell so uh, that happens sometimes you know as you yeah, know shit happens <laughs> yeah and particularly in that race because <laughs> it's uh, you know the ending you know you, you can't you come to the finish area going really fast is a downhill all the way to the finish and the the last stretch is very short yeah so. it's uh, really important when timing and to have a good glide the last the last kilometers and time the yeah have a good timing into the finish line there uh, but generally speaking how do you like that race you know and, and the atmosphere it's very different i think you know from the central when it's very different but it, it has its, its unique kind of atmosphere it's different from the central european ones and also uh, from the scandinavian ones for me it's kind of something in in between Yes, yeah, it is. Uh, I like the race. I like uh, it's uh, long straights in the Czechian forest, and uh, you go long uphills and long downhills, and uh, yeah, it's a nice race, and uh, I think it's also suit me uh, pretty well with uh, not the longest uphills, but a little bit of uh, hills. And then, of course, after Iseska Padesatka, you guys had a bit of a break. Uh, and you had time to focus focus on Basel, and then that happened, which is always the first uh, Sunday of March. Again, seventh, and uh, probably not a position or place that you were extremely happy about. But it was a really different type of Basel because it was fast paced, uh, not a sprint finish this time around. Yet Allen won, uh, uh, followed by the uh, Anton Carlson and Ermil Vokuev, and. Um, when you think about that race and that breakaway, when the guys did it, and also Vettel was there for a while, what went through your mind and what was kind of happening in, in the peloton or the, the, the lead group? Uh, yeah, it was uh, it a uh, hard race, Vassilopet, and uh, the result wasn't what I was dreaming about. But uh, I think the shape was good, but I was... Um, it was up to Evertzberg and the second sprint point. It was going hard and I think it was Ermil and Anton who was creating a gap. 
And I was uh, a little bit back of the peloton, adjusting something. Um, so I missed the breakaway, and uh, after a while, I heard that it was 30 seconds up, and then uh, Vetland Tord had uh, joined the breakaway. So when I got to the yeah to the front of the peloton again, it was like 45 seconds, and. Uh, it was hard. We tried to go hard in Lundbeksbakkerna and up to Uxberg, So, But it was mostly me and Karsten Johag who was chasing. And uh, it's hard when you're two against four. Because they, was, they were four in the front. And there was uh, yeah, really good cooperation there. And so we just hold... Uh, the distance to them, yeah, about one minute for, I don't know, 20 kilometers. But then it was, yeah, uh, <laughs> it was nothing to do to them because we, it wasn't so many that uh, wanted to to catch them. Eller? Or uh, it was maybe a lot wanted to catch them, but uh, no one else wanted to do the work to catch them. Yeah, of course, that is a bit of a day. Everybody wants to catch catch the breakaway yeah, exactly. people, but who, who is willing to do the work? Yeah, uh, and and also the Vasalopet last year is a little bit not a little bit quite different because you guys didn't have have the usual the big masses. Uh, the course was altered a little bit, not much. Uh, how did that kind of feel, or did you guys even pay attention to it? You'd be so focused on your race. Oh uh, no, I didn't pay attention to it. Uh, the the big difference was that it uh, it was yeah from previous years uh, was it that it was good uh, good conditions and uh, it wasn't so much snow in a way so it was a fast Vasaloppet but uh, it was a little bit snow and that was in the ski tracks so we uh, needed to stay behind or beside the tracks all the time so that was a little bit hard for the for the foot and yeah. And then what about the start area? Because you started from a different place and you didn't have those 15, 16,000 people standing behind you. Yeah, that was a little bit different. But uh, when the the race started, it was, yeah, <clears throat> we don't see the other 15,000 people when we are after one kilometer. So. Uh, after that, it wasn't so big difference from before, but uh, for sure it was. Uh, <laughs> you you miss all the the others when you and from the original start place. And the big hoopla that kind of goes around it, you know, days before. Uh, but hopefully we'll get back to back to the business as usual come the yeah the winter yeah. twenty two. After Vasalopet, things changed quite a lot. Of course, originally. You guys were supposed to have Birke Bainerennet and Reistelöpe and Ullas Levi, the great races up north. Uh, but that didn't that didn't happen. But you stayed in the same area, kind of the Volodalen Ore area, and you had uh, three races. Oh, uh, well, not quite back-to-back, two of them back-to-back, but uh, within a, a, a short period of time. Volodal's Rennet was the, the new edition, and that was the first one. And you were on the podium again there. So that must have felt good. <clears throat> Although that was also an interesting race because you were like, what, three minutes behind, and you were able to catch the guys because the last lap was so slow. 
Uh, yeah, <clears throat> it was a really special race. I um, was going over my limit in the apple when I tried to keep up with Jans Burman, who used kick wax, and uh, that made me suffering a lot. So uh, I lost the front group, and I think I was three and a half minutes back when it was, I think, 15 kilometers to go. Uh, but it was a special condition and uh, a little bit of snow that was, yeah, it wasn't so good glide in it. So um, no one in the front wanted to, yeah, to be in the front in the peloton. So it stopped up a lot. And you uh, were Tele, I had a teammate with me and he he was really strong. So we just decided to go hard and uh, suddenly we we saw the front group again and yeah it was just to to when it was yeah three kilometers to the finish we catch the group and uh, then i just tried to be in a good position for the final sprint and uh, yeah to be third in that race was uh yeah good for me and i wasn't expecting that when i had uh, 15 kilometers to go so did you and you uh, you are uh, get some inform uh, get some information about the the lead group that and when you started to chase how well informed were you at that time? Um, not really informed, not so much. But uh, we heard that it was three and a half minutes up, and uh, I know that three and a half minutes is really really a lot of time. So, but then we. Uh, yeah, it was good glide for us, and uh, we saw that we were catching people, and uh, heard that we was getting closer to the front group, and then suddenly we saw the helicopter, and uh, saw that we was closer, so then we understand that uh, we were close to catching them. And that that's what you guys did then, and you were, as you said, able to be on the podium number three. And then the next day, that was the first time for you guys to have uh, two races uh, on the same weekend. How did that, first of all, in the morning, how did, how did you feel after that top race? Uh, uh, you, did, you, did you feel like you're ready for another one? <laughs> yeah, it was a special situation, and uh, yeah. As you said, the first time for us when we had uh, two races back to back, but it wasn't so hard in the morning, and uh, I was mostly worried about uh, <laughs> my shape because I don't think I was a good the day before. But uh, uh, on the Sunday's race, Tosso and Criterium, I felt really good and. Uh, I was also able to be in the in the sprint in the end and stay up there. So yeah, I had a good body all the way and even better than the day before. Yes, that was the Tos Olsen Criterium 64, and you you were fourth in that race, close to the podium. Then and and then afterwards, we had two races back to back. How did how did you feel? You know, uh, physically. <clears throat> I mean. Uh, yeah, uh, I feel pretty good, but it was the end of season and uh, uh, we just taking it pretty easy because next, uh, yeah, was it five days later, we were going to ski Orifes Loppet and that's, that was a 
really long race, so it's uh, good to be fresh when you're on the start line for that. Speaking of which, how did you start, start your recovery process after two tough races? As you said, only five days before Orefes Lop at 100k uh, in very tough conditions. You didn't have that many time, many days to to recover. You had to be uh, <clears throat> pretty careful in terms of recovery. Yeah, it was mostly uh, easy training and some ski testing and also some ping pong game and uh, some chess. So it was, yeah, mostly easy. A lot of pasta, I assume, in your case. Yeah, yeah for sure. A lot of pasta on rice. And then Orefes Lopet, the final race uh, of the season and the first 100-kilometer race for you guys. That also must have been something uh, uh, something new, very different. <clears throat> and five hours and five minutes uh, were, uh, was your racing time. Uh, more than hour and hour and thirty minutes longer than actually hour and thirty seven minutes, thirty five minutes yeah, longer yeah. than Vasa Lopez. So it's a, a different type of race. Yeah, for sure. And it's uh, yeah, Vasa It's mostly flat, but uh, Orfes Lopez is hilly all the way, and you go over mountains, so it's uh, a harder course. And then the race itself. You had a breakaway. And it looked like you're going to repeat the feat that you did in at La Diagonela, <clears throat> but then that quite didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, it didn't. Um, we saw after I think it was forty or fifty kilometers that we had uh, really good skis because all of us in the team was in the front group, and the other teams just had uh, one people or two people in the in the group. So it was a group of maybe fifteen, and we was. Seven of us was from Ragda, so we knew uh, that we had really fast skis. So, uh, yeah, I took an opportunity when I got a chance to <laughs> to do a breakaway. And uh, I was, yeah, feeling really good. And I think uh, I had four minutes before the final 15 kilometers. So, it, uh, yeah, it was a <laughs> good opportunity. But then what happened? You just got tired <laughs> or... Conditions uh, <laughs> changed. Yeah, it was um, uh, mostly the condition. I catched uh, the girls, and uh, yeah, I couldn't uh, ski away from them. And uh, I saw that they they stayed behind me pretty easy. And I heard that I lost um, minutes. And yeah, when it was I don't know twelve kilometers, I heard that it was. Uh, three minutes lead and then two kilometers later I heard that it was two minutes so they were catching up fast from behind and uh, yeah I was <coughs> struggling and uh, I was started to think if I yeah, if I was empty but I didn't feel empty it felt like I had a, a lot of power left so yeah I didn't understand exactly what was happening that's interesting. Uh, um, did the frust uh, frustration creep in at that stage when the girls were for you know tailgating or drafting <laughs> you and and you yeah. felt kind of strong and you, know, you knew that the guys are coming and you didn't know what to do? Yeah, I tried to get some help from the girls, but they <laughs> they were weren't uh, yeah they didn't want to help me. So uh, yeah, and then you were catch me, uh, and then I jumped in behind him 
and I felt that oh it was so easy to stay behind someone so suddenly I understand uh, why uh, why they catched or took a lot of time on me was it was there so much water on the track so why <clears throat> was it so much easier of course you know drafting is always much easier but uh the condi- I, I wasn't there yeah, myself. So. Yeah, it was really special conditions. I think it was five degrees plus. It was uh, wet snow and uh, it was so much easier to stay behind when someone has skied right before you. So, uh, yeah, suddenly everyone was catching up. So when they did, when they actually caught, caught up with you, uh, did you still feel that you might have a chance uh, or... Where you kind of a lost case. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I had a chance because I was still feeling pretty strong. Uh, so I tried to stay behind Emil because he was a um, fast sprint uh, two races before. But uh, I think he had done a lot of a lot of work in the group to catch me. So yeah, and then <laughs> I also felt that I was. A little bit empty in the end, so I think I ended up in ninth place. So yeah, yeah, you were ninth, <clears throat> ninth in the race. But uh, as I said, that was your your, your worst place yeah. uh, of the season. May, maybe maybe karma from the the weekend before when I was uh, in the different situation. I was coming from the back, and uh, yeah, now uh, I was being catched instead. Indeed, uh, but now we could call you pretty much a breakaway king because you did it La, La Diagonela won by, by four or five minutes uh, and it seemed like you were going to do the same at ORFS Lopez so uh, you pretty uh, you know uh, uh, offensive skier you're pretty brave in, in terms of, of that you don't you're not afraid of breakaways uh, no I'm not I think it's uh, a good way to make a hard race and often I like hard races but uh, it's, I assume it's uh, not that easy, though, when you're there by yourself. I mean, mentally, how do, you, how do you keep yourself intact when you're out there knowing everybody's chasing you, you're by yourself? How do you keep your focus? Oh, uh, I don't think it's so hard because when you're by yourself, you all already got the gap. And uh, I know how hard it could be sometimes from behind to cooperate. So... It's when you when you get a gap and uh, you have a lead, it's uh, just to keep on going. And then going back to Orifes a little bit, uh, since that was the longest race that you guys ever had uh, in Visma Ski Classics and also a tough one. Uh, but now looking back, what's kind of your feeling about it, your comment on, on the race? Should we have more races like that that are over five hour, hour, five hours like you guys had. Yeah, yeah, I like uh, those types of races, and uh, but I like the the ski classic and the program from for this season with a lot of different races, longer ones and shorter ones, and uh, I think it's good to have um, different profiles and course, so a lot of people could win. And what type of profiles or courses suit you the best? Um, I don't know really. Uh, everything suits me when I'm in good shape and have good skis. That's the most important. But then, uh, uh, yeah, like the races 
where we are when we are skiing over two hours so a little bit longer races and uh, yeah a little bit of hills also is good for me i think and you just talked about i mentioned the uh, the calendar for uh, the upcoming season 14 races in 12 locations uh, quite a lot for you guys but also some new races so uh what are you expecting from those? You know, the Misurina uh, race, Rennen, and Tartu ski marathon is also returning. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it will be nice with the, the new races. And uh, I think it will be, yeah, good, all of them. I like the Rennen with the 75 kilometers. That That's looking nice. And uh, also Tartu with the with a race with a history and uh, yeah that's i i think it's also good to to use races that as a tradition and uh, yeah and also new country to be in so and the season is pretty long as well you guys start uh, just before christmas in usha uh, as we established earlier and then you go all the way to April and finish in Finland, Ulaslevi, uh, the great race that we haven't had in two years. Uh, yeah. Do you think it is too long, or do you, it, it, it's perfect the way it is right now? No, I think it's really good. Uh, I, I think it's the best time of the year to ski in the spring, in in the end of March and beginning of April. So, I think it's good that the season is so long and. Uh, yeah, I I like it that way. We are training a lot during the summer, so it's good to have a lot of races during the winter. And traditionally, you have at least some breaks there, usually before Vasalopet, that you can go back and do some training and make sure that the last part of the, the season uh, can go well. But now you don't really have that. I mean, the Tartu is only two weeks before Vasalopet, so there's not really that big of a break there anywhere. So it's a pretty much constant racing all the way through. Does that concern you a bit? Or you just feel that if you trained well, you would be able to, to manage it? Yeah, it it is. And uh, it's, yeah, <laughs> not not a big break this year, but uh, I don't think it's uh, some problem. I think that, uh, yeah, you can put in uh, some, some sections with more training and some more volume during the, the season. Even if it's even if we are racing on the weekends, so I don't think see, I don't think it's a problem. Uh, and then I'd like to have a word uh, about your team, uh, the Norwegian team, uh, the Anders Auckland. Uh, still, of course, the Auckland brothers and Anders Auckland is still still running strong, and uh, you are the only Swede among the Norwegian uh, great greatness there. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, how is what would you like to say about your your team and how does it feel to be to be I guess it's not that big of a difference between the Norwegians and Swedes but still to be the only only yeah. one from the upper country <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, not so big difference between Swedes and Norwegians but uh, I think it's a really good team and I I stay here because I think it's the best team uh, so I think it's the team where I have opportunities to win races during the winter so i think it's good and uh, over the years i've been here we have uh, had a lot of good uh, skiers 
with the Tor Drasleyerdal and Petter Liesen and uh, yeah Andreas Nygård also so yeah it's a good uh, good team. So you never have any like language problems like Stian Hörlgard said that you know he transferred <laughs> to uh, the Swedish team team Korea yeah. and said that he he usually understands but this uh, his teammate is Swedes so are just uh, like big question marks whenever uh, he talks. Uh, <laughs> Do you yeah. have any problems there? No. <laughs> Not uh, not now. Maybe the first year, but uh, now it's oh, is it my fourth year here? So it's no problem anymore. So you're as a Swede is becoming half Norwegian now. Yeah, yeah, Sweden. for sure. You mix a lot of Norwegian words <laughs> in your yes, speech. Yeah, we do, and uh, take it in English if it's uh, not possible. Uh, good. And then you guys are in Livonia right, right now, and uh, how is the the training. I mean, can you uh, just uh, share a little bit about that and let us know what kind of trainings you guys done? Uh, yeah, it's no rocket science. We just do a lot of training, and uh, yeah, we try to do uh, maybe four, five hours per day, and uh, mostly easy training and a lot of ski testing and uh, get get used to the altitude. And we have uh, is it. I think it's four race on uh, altitude uh, this season, so I think it's uh, good to to get used to the altitude and uh, have a training camp here this this time of the year. Do you do one or two sessions per day? Uh, it's uh, yeah. Some days we have two, often two, but uh, sometimes we also have one. And for how long are you guys going to be there? It's. Uh, I'm staying for, I think it's three and a half week or something. So yeah, pretty long. That's a long time. Do don't you ever get a little bit bored? You know, I mean, I'm living is a great place, but still, it's very small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. But no, I don't get bored. I I like it here, and uh, yeah, it's a nice place, and I have everything I I need for to do a good training and. Uh, a good company and yeah, it's it's nice here. Uh, is it uh, who else is there beside uh, you and uh, Nigord? Uh, Johan Hul and uh, Magnar Dalen and some uh, servicemen also. Okay, so you guys good, good good team there. But I think this is a good good segue for us to start talking about uh, training in general. So that'll be our next segment on this podcast episode. So training, that's always, well, I wouldn't really call it a big mystery because uh, I think it's uh, kind of clear cut, actually. We all kind of know how to train, but still we have different kind of philosophies, different methods, different ways of doing it. Uh, I talked to your uh, roommate there, and as Nico, a while back when we did the podcast with him, and he is a firm believer in kind of the traditional way and not mixing hard sessions with uh, uh, um Easy, easy ones, uh, not Vassal or Pass type of things, uh, and uh, uh, kind of like two intensive sessions per week and so forth. And then we have other skiers who really are firm believers in in pluck training, like Modnere Pedersen and so forth. And then we have something or some some people in between kind of doing both. But what is your philosophy or what is your sort of method? Training, uh, training? Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, you can be 
almost at your best with uh, a lot of distance training and ease training and then have some uh, yeah one or two interval sessions per week but uh, if you have a lot of volume you can um, stay at a high capacity and be almost at your best uh you mentioned that intensive uh, intensity trainings intensive sessions what kind of intervals or uh, intensive workouts do you tend to do uh i like uh i often do double pulling on ski erg or or outside roller skiing or skiing but i also do maybe 25% of my interval session in running and i often do uphill running because i think that's good for the oxygen uptake and yeah so so i often use treadmill to to run uphill when during intervals you're actually a good runner uh, your 300 meter uh, track time is like eight minutes something was it eight minutes yeah minutes? i think it's 828 so that's a, pr- that's a pretty good time you're you you could be <laughs> almost a professional runner <laughs> oh no it's a uh, if you compare to other skiers, it's good. But if you compare to runners, it's shitty time. So <laughs> it's it's good for a cross-country skier. So, yeah. Uh, so naturally, you uh, you like running, as, as as you said. But how important do you think that is? I mean, it's, of course, kind of the, the older generations that the skiers in the past used to do quite a lot of running and uh, the Nordic running or Nordic walking, running up a, up a hill with poles. But now... It seems to me that at least kind of this long in long distance skiing, uh, there are a lot of pro team athletes that don't do running at all or very little. Yeah, uh, no, I don't think it's so important to do running. I think you can do, uh, yeah, cycling or skating or I don't know something something else instead. But uh, it's good to have something else than double pulling if you. If you want to have a lot of volume in the training and you train many hours per week, you need to do maybe something more than double pulling. And then I think running is uh, good good to, to do. Uh, in your case, do you do anything else besides uh, double pulling and running? You mentioned cycling <clears throat> and skating. Do you do those? or? Uh, no, I'm a <laughs> really bad skater, so I'm not skating anything. Uh, but I, I do like cycling and uh, cycling sport. And in the spring, I was on a <laughs> training camp in Mallorca, and also, uh, the only thing we were doing was cycling. So I like cycling during off season. But I think when we're closer to the season, uh, I need more double pulling, and you get good. Uh, on that your training <laughs> so if you train a lot of double pulling you get good in double pulling so yeah i think double pulling is, is the most important so in the summertime uh most of your sessions are double pulling on roller skis yeah for sure mostly maybe 80 percent have you ever uh, uh calculated yeah the kilometers that you do Per year, in terms of skiing and and uh, roller skiing, and uh, no, I don't. I think it's so. Uh, I often go with very slow, uh, slow wheels under the roller ski. So, if I use easier wheels, I would come a lot longer. So I don't know. I don't think it's so important. 
Speaking of numbers, because people are uh, always fascinated about that, uh, numbers, uh, how many hours do you uh, train per year and has it changed over the years? Oh, I don't I don't know really. I think it's maybe 800, between eight or 900 hours per year. Uh, so it's most during summer, but uh, also a little bit during winter, but... Uh, Maybe 100 hours uh, per month in summer and then less in the winter. And uh, how do you uh, sort of schedule or your, your training sessions, training weeks? Do you have like easy weeks, tougher weeks, or do you kind of maintain the same sort of balance throughout? Oh, yeah, I have <laughs> easier weeks and tougher weeks. And uh, when we have training camps, it's tougher week and then if I'm feeling good I try to keep on and train hard and a lot and then when I'm feeling yeah not so good I try to rest until I feel good again and then start to train more again so it's um, not uh, I'm not have a big plan of exactly how it would be I just adjust the plan um when I feel good and when I feel bad. Yeah, so do you have a coach or you uh, train uh, yourself? Uh, I have myself as coach. That's good, I think. Ah, that's good. Then maybe uh, when you finish your career, you can become a, a professional professional coach. Yeah, maybe I could. Uh, but I think uh, as an athlete, uh, you know your body very well. And I've also been studying some sports science, so... Yeah, I think I I know what I need to know about training. And uh, that's also, yeah, interesting to read and see what other training uh, or other sports are training, like cyclists and runners. And yeah, look a little bit on them and yeah, try some new type of training also. That's interesting. Speaking of that, uh, how much... You or how much influence do you actually get from from that? And and have you changed your training over the years? And it seems to me that you're willing to try new things. And and if, and do do they usually work? Or <laughs> yeah, I tried a lot uh, and tried to change out with my training. And then uh, often it can be too hard, and I need to rest. So it's usually the same in the end. So. Can you give us an example of something that you got influenced and tried it and and? Oh, I don't know. That's a hard question. I can't uh, remember anything right now. Nothing from like, for example, cycling world, because I know that Team Ramudens, of course, <clears throat> they have Matthias Reck, and he has brought a lot of yeah, a lot of yeah. that aspect into <clears throat> their training. So, have you taken anything from there or any other, or you heard something that, and you you tested or tried it yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm looking also on cyclists and studies made for sort of cyclists and also for runners. So, I don't know. I test a lot, and if it works, I keep up with it and go on with it and yeah but we, we tried a lot and tried to go long on roller skiing I think we we did one session on 220 kilometers this summer so yeah I try a lot 
That's a good. That's a good. That's almost like my uh, <laughs> my long one when I went through the you know the country. Yeah, yeah, it's a clo close <laughs> yeah. close call. But uh, yeah, I think it was eleven hours or twelve hours or something. So yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. I know how it yeah. feels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so, fun. It's fun. A long, long, yeah. uh, long distances are fun, of course, and and uh, and because you get into this kind of a mentality and and the, the zone, as I call it. Yeah, um, and you can also stop for fika. That's nice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, in in Sweden you have to do that. You know. Fika. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but the training. Have you? If you think about the years that you've done it and you're coaching yourself, have you changed it? You know, lately is this year different <clears throat> from any other years, or you counting on you know the kind of the you know the, uh, um, the learned facts? Yeah, uh, no, I don't. I think this year is close to last year. But uh, if I look back, maybe five years ago, I, now I'm doing uh, more of one session. Uh, Per day instead of two sessions, so more, uh, more long, more <laughs> more days with one session and a long session instead of two sessions. And what's the reasoning for that? Ah, uh, I don't know. I think I improve myself, and that's a good reason. Uh, and then I think that a lot of people out there listening listening to this podcast willing to to uh, get some advice or tips from you since you're also now a kind of a coach <laughs> yeah. as well. What could be the the biggest traps that a, a skier, and now I'm talking about not maybe a pro professional skier like you guys, but more like a, like a, a, a serious uh, recreational skier. So what are the traps that he or she could fall fall into when training? Mm, maybe I think it's uh, it could be a trap to... Like in Östersund, you have a lot of skier, and uh, you always have skiers that are doing intervals, and you can join on intervals every day. But uh, maybe you need a plan, and just uh, <clears throat> yeah, you have maybe two or three intervals per week that you want to do with uh, uh, with some company, and uh, it's not good to join join intervals every day. And uh, yeah, you need yeah, you need a plan. That I think that's. Uh, <laughs> a good uh, a good tip but uh, even if i'm not having uh, the best plan by myself i think it's uh, a good thing to have and then in the winter time uh, we talked about the summertime training but now since you have so many races uh, every weekend pretty much so how do you change your training and what do you do in between you know the races um, i mostly do easy training between the races and maybe one strength training session per week uh, sometimes between races but mostly is training and then some race preparation the day before or something like that but you don't do any sprints or intervals in between because of the you know the races and the the load that you guys uh, have there it depends on the race and how the race the week before was if it's a easy race you maybe need some intervals but uh, if it's a really hard race yeah, I often take a chill and just do easy training. And you also mentioned strength training. I assume you mean lifting weights in in, in a gym. Yeah. Uh, and, and what type? What what kind? Oh, uh, I think it's just uh, traditional strength training with uh, uh, some. Uh, <laughs> 
some maybe three sets with uh, five repetition or something. Yeah, some traditional, just just traditional strength training and uh, also a little bit of core training. Do you like uh, strength training? Or do you like uh, doing sessions in the, in the gym? Uh, no, that's not my favorite. I like to spend uh, spend my training time outside, but I think it's good to have also. So. Speaking of that, what is your number one workout, your favorite workout? <clears throat> do you have any? Yeah, I, don't know, I think uh, uh, maybe four hours um, roller ski session with double pulling and then do some... Uh, some uh, yeah maybe shorter intervals in the end or do go hard up some hills and yeah I, that that's type of training that I like when you're in good shape <laughs> so it's uh, it's not so fun to double pull for, for four hours and go hard if you're in bad shape but when you're in good shape it I like it. You mentioned uh, short intervals like uh, speed training. How often yeah. do you do that? Mm, it depends on in which period of the year, but uh, not so much. It, but it depends. Sometimes it's two times a week, but then it can be two weeks without it, and then it's more often. So it it really depends on the period of the year and yeah, what's the plan the next couple of weeks. So now, based on all this training that you've done, and uh, it seems to me that now you're ready, ready for the new season. So naturally, uh, I have to ask about your your goal. What do you want to achieve? This uh, I know that you're not fighting for the, you know, the yellow bib, but what's your sort of? Do you have one race, maybe Barcelona, or that's a little bit more important than the others, or are you just aiming to win the uh, the overall? Uh, yeah, I'll try to to. Uh, be in a good place in the yellow uh, competition, the yellow bib, and uh, I will do do well there. So, but in the specific races, I want to do good in the Grand Classics, and uh, yeah, Marcelong and Vaslop uh, is maybe the biggest. I think those are usually the the ones that you guys always pick. You know, if yeah, you yeah, ask about the, the main races, Marcelonga. And and Birken too, but much along our, yeah. particularly for Norwegians, uh, Birken is an important an important race. Yeah, uh, for sure, that's the race everyone wants to win mostly. So, indeed, but I think next we'll uh, talk about you as a person. We leave the, the skiing and the training a bit behind, and uh, we'll just uh, open the curtain to your world outside of skiing, and that'll be next for us. So, Oscar Cardin, uh, you coach yourself, you're your own trainer, you ski, you're a professional skier, you're a Swedish skier in a Norwegian team. Uh, but uh, what else do you do and who, who, who else are you? I mean, how would you kind of describe your life uh, right now? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I think I'm 29 years old and live in Östersund and with my girlfriend and uh, Spent a lot of time there, and uh, when I'm not training, I think I spend time with my friends, and uh, I'm often out uh, for hunting and fishing, and spend time in the mountains and that type of things. 
You're a hunter too. Uh, it seems to me that quite a lot of uh, pro team athletes uh, are into hunting and ah, fishing. Are they? <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, 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 based on this podcast. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, why, why hunting? Uh, I think it's fun. I think I'll on the, I like to be out in nature and uh, yeah, I have dogs, so it's nice to see them develop also. So yeah, that's fun. And uh, Östersund, your hometown tell me about that a little bit oh uh, yeah my hometown is Uptand uh, and that's uh, 10 kilometers outside of Östersund but uh, now I'm currently living in uh, Östersund and it's a good place you it's close to the to university and you have uh, good ski tracks and uh, yeah it's not the biggest town, so you have everything in maybe 10 minutes from your, my home, so that's really good. So you were born there then, as you said, hometown is 10k away yeah. from... Yes, I am. And you went to school there and all that. Uh, yeah, and then the ski gymnasium in Åre, Sweden. So, yeah, close to Östersund. Why is it 100 kilometers from Östersund or something? So uh, uh, let's talk about school a little bit. If you go back there, yeah. Uh, uh, do you have fun memories of school? <laughs> yeah, for sure. It was the best time uh, in my life. I think it was. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, Why? Uh, you got a lot of time to to be with friends, and uh, yeah, in that time <laughs> I wasn't training so much, so I had a lot of time. Yeah, playing ice hockey and do fun things with my friends and yeah so i think that that's because why if you were not training that much when and how did skiing come about when did you discover skiing then yeah yeah i was training but not uh, as much as uh, (laughs) i see i do now so uh, because it was a ski gymnasium so it was uh, a lot of other skiers there with the same interest and and yeah then i started to train more when i yeah maybe when i was 22 or 23 and got better results so when you look at it now i think i would have been training more when i was 16 and uh yeah up to 20 years old but how old were you when you started skiing? You mentioned you played ice hockey and stuff like that. So, so I assume you did a lot of other sports as well. Um, yeah, but I started skiing very early. I think it was, uh, I don't remember. It was so, yeah, when you can start to walk, I started to ski also. So long time ago. And then when did it become serious? When you were in the teenage years or when did you realize that this is something I really want to do? I don't know. Maybe when I um, was on the, yeah junior and uh, made some good results in the junior championship in Sweden. And but then I didn't know so much about training. I learned uh, after a while that uh, I need to train more than I did. So maybe when yeah when I started to studying sports science at the university, I learned that I needed to train more. And at that time, you know, did you think that you'll end up being a long-distance skier or what were your goals or dreams at that time? 
As many others, I wanted to do World Cup skiing and uh, World Championships and dreaming of Olympics. Uh, but uh, I always like long distance skiing and uh, I think I did Vassalope first time when I was 20 years old. So I've been doing Vassalope uh, yeah, ever since then. So I enjoy the long races. You would say that was a triggering moment, Vassalopet, at your 20s. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Uh, and then after that, when what kind of happened? When did you seriously start cons cons considering long-distance skiing as a, as a professional career? Mm, maybe it was uh, it was one year. I, I think I finished in 10th place in Vassalopet, maybe 2015 or something. Uh, and I hadn't trained so much double pulling and then I saw it was with all the professional teams and uh, before that I was working during summer uh, I was a uh, I don't know grave digger and oh. <laughs> yeah so uh, I was uh, working full time and suddenly I got an opportunity to to just ski and uh, to go with a pro team I joined Sarneke and uh, yeah I got Got an opportunity to to ski on full time, and uh, that that was, I think, the moment when I changed, yeah, to only go long distance skiing. So, as a grave digger, you must have uh, got familiar with the ghosts, quite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, and uh, planting flowers and cutting grass. So, yeah, it's fun, fun work. What other odd jobs have you done in, in your past? <laughs> Oh, I haven't done so many, but I'm planting a lot of trees. Always outside in the nature, correct? <laughs> yes, it is, but it's not so fun. But but sometimes you need to do it. It's uh, <laughs> you can get uh, paid well if you do it a lot. If you plant a lot of trees. Uh, and then what about your future? We kind of touched upon this a little bit earlier. Uh, what would you like to do? Do you have any idea what you could do after your, you know, skiing career, which of course still can go on for, for many, yeah. many years? <clears throat> yeah, I don't know really. Uh, I like the environment with the skiing and yeah, this, this life. So I don't know, but I don't want to work for seven in the morning to four in the afternoon or five in the afternoon every day a week i want to do some something else so you also mentioned mentioned studies and the education uh do you have anything like that in the pipeline coming up or reading mm, I more i don't know uh, i don't like to study so it's a little bit of a problem but i have a bachelor in uh, sports science so i don't know maybe that can take me somewhere and also, you mentioned uh, uh, your girlfriend. Uh, yeah. So, uh, is she into skiing? By the way. Uh, yeah, she's uh, she's into skiing. She won Nordenskjöldsloppe this winter, so I think she's she can ski. Ah, good. You know that short, tiny race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She <laughs> yes. She likes to ski longer than me, so. <laughs> yeah, I was in that race too. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, how did you guys meet? Oh shit! That was a long time ago, ten years ago. We we meet uh, through friends and uh, yeah, through through skiing and 
uh, had some friends that know her and yeah i think it was on that way and uh what uh great about her what attracted you to her and then vice versa what uh, uh qualities did does she like about you <laughs> yeah i think you need to ask her about that but i but, can't uh, <laughs> she's not here so i have to ask yeah. you <laughs> yeah but i like her she has uh like the same interest as me and we like the same things and see the world on yeah the from the same side and we like each other and to spend time with, with each other and do the same stuff it's got to be tough for her when you're gone for that long almost almost a month yeah yeah it is but uh, we have a lot of time to spend with each other uh, upcoming years so it's no problem uh, speaking of which what do you guys do besides skiing i know if you both are skiers you do a lot of skiing but yeah when you're not skiing what else do you guys do together uh, yeah we we're hunting and fishing together because oh she's uh, a hunter too okay. yeah for sure yeah she likes that too and uh, also do some scheme engineering and uh, yeah uh, we do almost everything together so so of course you guys talked about uh, having a family at one point as well yeah sometimes but we try to push it forward later <laughs> uh, then what else do you uh, value in life besides skiing hunting uh, your girlfriend family what else is important for you mm, I think it's uh, important to have time over to have time to enjoy what you really like in life so yeah I think that's important I watch a lot of sport and uh, I like to watch cycling races. So uh, I don't know. A lot of sport, you know, cycling. What else do you, uh, what other sports do you like besides cycling and, and skiing? Oh, I, I like a lot of sport. Uh, I watch almost everything, I think, in Olympics and uh, World Championships. But uh yeah, I like good sport when it's good quality, and uh, I can watch uh, Stanley Cup or Super Bowl, and yeah, uh, when it's good quality sport, I like it. And of course, we got the Olympics coming up uh, too. Uh, what about your countrymen? Uh, do you think that they will, countrymen and countrywomen, uh, will do well? Swedish uh, skiers. Yeah, I hope so. I think they are strong. I trained a little bit with them, uh, on some of them, this summer, and uh, I think they are looking good. Mm, with whom, if I may ask? Uh, I did some intervals with Jens Burman, and uh, I met it's, uh, yeah, a lot of the, the Swedish skier is living in Östersund, so I meet a lot of them when I'm out training, so... So did Jens say anything about doing some races? He will do some, of course, mm. because he's signing up for a, for a team. But after yeah. the Olympics? Yeah, he will join Encon. So I think uh, he will do the race after Olympics. So that's that's good and fun. It will be it will be good to competing against him also. So then, uh, as we are now uh, approaching the end of the, the program, what's going to happen... Uh, next for you, I mean, of course, you guys out there in Livigno right now, the season is uh, is starting. Uh, you have this camp uh, for a few more days and weeks. Uh, but then after that, before before the season starts. Mm, yeah, I'm staying here um, 
I will come home. I think it's ten days before Usha, so it's not a lot of time before when I come home. So I think it will take it easy when I come home and try to be in good shape <clears throat> on the first race, and then it's Christmas, and I think I will go back here again after Christmas. So prepare for the for the Miserina race. Oh, the good old holidays, Christmas and New Year's. Uh, yeah. What does Christmas uh, actually represent to you? I mean, are you a Christmas person? Are you a holiday person? No, I hate Christmas. It's the really, wor- you do? yeah, it's the worst. Why? Thing. <laughs> Why is it the worst thing? <laughs> I don't find something uh, good with it. Uh, no, it's ah, oh, it's just shit. Oh, that's interesting. I. Don't often hear that, that people don't like Christmas. I mean, what is it about Christmas that you like? You don't like? You don't like the you know the music or the you know the commercialism uh, or no? Uh, you need to buy gifts to everyone, and no one it's uh, no one knows what they want to have. So you need to find out gifts for all the family, and then you try to stay healthy also in front of the the upcoming races so you don't want to meet a lot of people so yeah i yeah i i don't like it yeah and you can't eat all the great stuff because the season is starting all yeah the ex- exactly like <laughs> yeah exactly so uh uh if you don't like christmas is there any other holiday or something you'd like then uh yeah like um the Eastern, is it calling so? Mm-hmm. In the yeah. spring? Yeah. Yes, Eastern, yeah. Yeah, the Eastern is nice. And uh, yeah, it's often good weather and uh, uh, usually it's, it's uh, off season and uh, after the last races you can take it easy and uh, don't need to focus so much on skiing and uh, yeah, you can relax. So you are an Easter person uh, who wants to uh, win uh, Machalonga and Vasalopet next season and, of course, fight for the yellow bib. And uh, so that's probably... And you have a great girlfriend and a great life there. So I think you are really doing well, aren't you? Um, Yeah, I hope so. Uh, (laughs) And uh, if I do well in uh, ski races, I think I'm doing well. Indeed you are. But thank you very much, uh, Oscar Kardin. It's been a pleasure to have you on, on our uh, podcast uh, show. And I wish you all the best. I think you will do well uh, this winter. And uh, then just uh, enjoy your time in Livigno and the sunshine. Yeah, thanks a lot, Timo. We'll uh, keep up um, talk during the winter. Indeed we will. And you guys out there listening, uh, thank you very much for joining us as always. And remember, send us uh, requests, questions, feedback, anything you want to say. And that address is podcast at wsportsmedia.com. Once again, podcast at wsportsmedia.com. For now, I'll say bye-bye. Thank you. Ciao. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.